Be good. <laughs> Hello there. Thanks for tuning in to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. This is Andrew. I am currently in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'll only be here for another couple days. My wife Tiffany and our sweet dog Pele are going to be here um, tomorrow to pick me up. And we're all going to drive back to Southern California together. We're not unfortunately heading directly to Mexico, which was uh, the plan. But we're going to still do fun and interesting things and meet fun and interesting people as we work for the next uh, several months until the end of March. Um, we've had a bunch of expenses that we got to take care of. Anyhow, don't feel sorry for us because everything is all right. It's uh, We're fortunate to have the opportunity to do the work that we're going to be doing. Um, yeah, things are good. I want to tell you about our guest today, a guy named Freeman. We met Freeman in a little place called Bombay Beach with uh, our mutual friend Tao Ruspoli, who um, knows Freeman from way back. You'll hear a little bit about that in Freeman's story. Freeman is one of those people that just immediately I knew I wanted to have spend more time with him and have him on this on this podcast. He uh, within maybe ten or fifteen minutes of meeting us was on an electric unicycle and sort of dancing on it in a in a parking lot. It was fantastic. Uh, we had a great conversation, and the guy has seen and done many things. Uh, very, very bright character who knows a great deal about uh, software development and uh, computer sciences. Um, spent a ton of time in India. Knows a lot about the pallet rack structure, which is something uh, new to me. So, yeah, this was this was special. I enjoyed it. And uh, I, I'm hoping to, to stay in touch with this sweet man. Um, there's a couple things I want to tell you about. First of all, the Motherfucker Awards is coming up. If you're going to be in the L.A. area, you got to come down. We'll be there. Uh, Christopher Ryan, Dr. Christopher Ryan, and his pal Kyle Tierman have teamed up to put this thing together. It is uh, an award show honoring those companies who are doing the very most to fuck over our planet at this moment in history. It's going to be hilarious. There's some great comedians. The Yes Men are going to be there. There's uh, Abby Martin, the journalist, uh, Matt Taibbi, the journalist and writer from Rolling Stone. Uh, It's going to be a cool event, and uh, everyone can participate. If you're not going to be able to make it to L.A., which you know most people in the world are not in Los Angeles. I think I just uh, recently learned that. Um, But there's... uh, there's a way that everybody can participate. You can uh, find out who the winners are. We're going to put that up on our um, Instagram and Facebook. We'll let you know who won a MOFA and for what category. Say, like, it's the earth category or the water category or the mind category. Who's fucking with our minds the most? Anyhow, uh, you can congratulate the winners of those categories. And I suggest that you do it very civilly. Say, for instance, if Coca-Cola wins an award, you say... At Coca-Cola, congratulations on winning a MOFA. And if enough people do it, um, perhaps Coca-Cola will respond to 
uh, having Buena Mofa. Who knows? Anyhow, uh, well, there's going to be more information about that. But December 4th in Inglewood, California at uh, the Majestic Theater should be a good time. Uh, there's a few other things coming up on the horizon, but uh, you know, we, I've gotten a job working in um, the Salton Sea with, uh, with Tao Ruspoli on a thing called the Bombay Beach Biennale which uh, is a fantastic gathering of artists and thinkers and philosophers and doers that, um, yeah, I'm very, very pleased to be a part of. So if you know any artists or people who are skilled at, uh, at building or if you want to volunteer or help in any kind of way, um, you know, if you know a dancer or a good performer or somebody who's a great speaker and has something interesting to say, reach out to us, mtp.dog forward slash contact and let me know. That's going to be my role is helping uh, coordinate some of the um, presenters and artists and things like that. Uh, What else? Um, uh, There's probably something, but I can't remember at the moment. So I'm going to just shut up and give you Freeman, who, um, as I said before, is awesome. Got great episodes coming up. I can't wait to share them with you. I hope everything out there for you is great and that you're doing fun and interesting things and that you feel genuinely and generally fulfilled as a human being. Okay, talk to you soon. Until then, bye-bye. Freeman. Yeah. Is, is that your, that's the given Freeman. name? That's my given name. Yeah. Are you a mononym? Like, do you go by a last name or just, just Freeman? Freeman's great. Just Freeman. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so you're back in the States from India. Yeah, yeah, I just moved back in January, basically. Yeah. Uh, I'll go back and, and visit, but right now it's feeling like I'm I'm back in California. Mm-hmm. I was born in California, so it's kind of nice to be back in, yeah, where I'm sort of local, where these are sort of, this is my place, these are my people, I can speak the language. I spent the last 13 years hanging out in places where I was very foreign, Yeah, which is great and fantastic, but you know there's a certain aspect of being an outsider and not really being able to communicate with real local people yeah so it's nice being on the other side of that do you speak uh hindi or any no no i've never been great at languages when i moved to india in 2005 i was super gung-ho and i moved to calcutta and was trying to pick up the language and stuff but but i i moved cities a couple times and each time i moved cities the language changed and and i i just sort of lost steam a little bit and and there's there's a certain class of you know at a middle class and above you can really talk to anyone almost anywhere where you are in india with english but that the slight bummer is that it it cuts out sort of talking with with super local people and and i was living in a village for the last five years or so and so you know, I missed out on that a little bit, yeah. but I still got by and, and I actually, in a sense, kind of, I feel like I'd like to trend towards silence in some sense. And yeah. there, there are some advantages to not speaking. It sort of gets me out of a lot of conversations. I mm. find that there's times when I'm okay, that there's conversations happening around me, but that I don't necessarily feel like I have to be in it yeah you're unencumbered by your own opinion or that sort of thing yeah yeah you're off the hook free to i like that 
Where in India have you have you been living most recently? You said a village. Yeah, so for the last five years or so, I've been living in a uh, small village outside of Bangalore. Okay. Uh, initially, it was Bandrapalia and then uh, Kotigate. Uh, Bangalore, Bangalore is sort of interesting. It's kind of shaped like a, a donut in that the, the center of it is relatively low density where, you know, there's been a small city there for you know a long time and then as bangalore has grown it's really sort of grown up at the the edges and so it sort of gets taller as you go further out and then there's this dramatic drop off so it sort of gets taller you get these skyscrapers on outer ring road and then it instantly goes into farmland which is sort of waiting waiting for development yeah they, they sort of see this the city coming but that right now it's it's you know just open open land out there, and so so after you know living there for a little while, I really sort of decided that I want to get into this sort of natural lifestyle, and so I moved out of the city and moved to uh, moved to a farm, and I'm really into building these temporary structures out of pallet racks. Yeah, and so uh, I could lease a little bit of land from a, a farmer over there. Most recently, from uh, uh, great guy John at uh, Hamsa Farm, and he'd you know give me a little piece of land, and I'd build my my big pallet rack structure, yeah. and then uh, and I'd set up this thing called Jaga, which was sort of an artist cooperative kind of thing inside the city, and when we moved out to the city, I, I mean out to the the farm, I I set the structure up, and then really focused on uh, sort of running kind of a, a tech education camp, kind of a code camp. Yeah. Uh, sort of kind of trying to create almost my like Burning Man camp kind of environment, but uh, long term. Like yeah. we were there for, you know, an extended period of time. And so then inviting people to come and spend time taking online classes. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to sort of create like a, a college-like environment without the without professors really relying on the internet for all of the the content but creating sort of the the social type scene of yeah. like a, a college community and then using these temporary pallet rack structures as our sort of core infrastructure yeah i i was turned on to the pallet um temporary pallet structures through uh this is a humanitarian group that was setting those up. They were, they were trying to get some government grants and NGO money to build those after natural disasters to create temporary housing that was very quick to set up and used available materials. Is that, are you using some of the same designs? Are you familiar with that sort of yeah, thing? I don't really know um, exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen many people specifically using pallet racks. Uh, pallet racks are the warehouse shelving. So it's uh, the, oh, it's the steel shelving pallets. system. I got you. Not pallets. Not pallets. And so oh, no, they're I've... sort of you know heavy duty, yeah. super modular, super fast to set up uh, and take take down. I haven't seen too many people except at Burning Man. It's it's sort of become one of the core sort of building elements okay. that people build with. I haven't seen many other people no, I, yeah. play with it. 
I, I misunderstood. So, so lay that out for me. What it looks like. You're you're just taking those those big racks and then making like a square or making. Yeah. So, so there's really two two components to the pallet racks. You have these these big verticals, and then you have these you know typically orange. Uh, horizontal pieces yeah and the the verticals have these little teardrop shaped holes every two inches going up the the entire length and the the beams are like 12 12 feet or four meters long and then have these little hooks at the mm-hmm. the side and so then they can just sort of snap in at any height going up right and they're super common every warehouse on the whole planet is filled with pallet racks yeah and so they have like really well-defined load-bearing characteristics. Mm-hmm. And so normally a warehouse is set up with sort of rows of these things and a forklift will come and right. pick up a pallet of stuff and stick it on there. Uh, even warehouses um, make mezzanines mm-hmm. where they'll, they'll put these together and then make a platform where you know they'll have their sort of administrative offices. And my thing was to just sort of take that a, a little bit further and, and they're really flexible. So, you know, just look at the space I have available, what I'm trying to create, and then set up the uprights and then sort of place the beams to sort of look at the the flow that I want going through. You right. know, can I make an amphitheater? Can I make, you know, shelves where people are going to be sleeping, yeah. you know, work areas, all of these things by by sort of putting these rows of, of pallet racks together and then just laying plywood uh, across the beams to right. to create my floors are you walling are they, are they walled in or roofed so we've we've played uh a few different things the the pallet racks themselves are you know incredibly gratifying at giving you a core skeleton mm-hmm. and so you know just in like a day you can go from having nothing to having something that very much looks like a building yeah and Bangalore has is kind of famous in India for having pretty good weather. And so 90% of the time you're like, wow, it's amazing. You know, why do we ever have walls? Yeah. But that uh, 10% of the time it's like raining furiously. And, and then you're like, we should really have some walls. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, there really is something sort of interesting about this. Like it's, it's wonderful to live outside. Yes. It's, and, and the pallet racks without the walls are, it feels like living outside, but up high. Yeah. And so you get these gorgeous views going, especially when we're out in, in nature, but even in the city, like, you know, we, we get to see everything in the city. We were building right next to trees. And so it was like being in this giant tree house where you're surrounded by like the canopy. Yeah. In the beginning, we, we played some games like uh, a lot of the old billboards from East Asia, for some reason, end up... Uh, shipped to India where they're used as sort of reused as high quality tarps uh, often in sort of informal settlements and stuff so it's easy to get these things these things tend to be really colorful I really like sort of this like Asian aesthetic with you know Asian writing so it's not looking like a a car ad but you know something sort of abstract with bright colors initially we we were covering the structure with those things to sort of make a big sort of circus tent kind of vibe yeah and it was okay, but it uh, it sort of got hot, and then also created uh, a wind load. Yeah. And the the structure is the pallet racks are extremely good with vertical load, right. but less designed for sort of horizontal loads. And so I 
I shifted from that to putting a, a, a roof across some part of it. I'd, I really loved being up high, so I'd, I'd sort of leave some part open. And then uh, giving all of my, my sort of students uh, tents. Mm-hmm. So I, I ended up concluding that as far as like waterproof enclosures go, it's really hard to beat a tent. They, yeah. They're they're small, compact, easy to set up, and you know watertight. And so, because initially I was just feeling really horrible about you know them getting wet. Yeah, of and, course. And so then we moved over into having a fairly open structure, but where everybody had tents. And mm-hmm. so then the pallet racks essentially made sort of this multi-level. Um, tent city tent city yeah uh, which was you know fabulous yeah in in a lot of ways and the the tents also provide people you know a little bit of private space mm-hmm. where they can like hang out by themselves and watch movies on their laptops or whatever yeah and then the the pallet racks and the whole farm you know provide sort of this larger community space yeah and it, I've, I've had the opportunity to build out a warehouse with pallet racks oh yeah I was living in Portland um many years ago and just doing labor ready type yeah. work. And one of the jobs that beat the hell out of like cleaning parking lots was assembling. I mean, just like you said, this perfectly spaced row after row. And I, I loved the idea of, of building anything else with them other than these like kind of boring rows. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's incredibly gratifying. Like I've, you know, so my, my first one, I imagine we'll get this was building pallet racks in this warehouse with, with Tao. Yeah. Where we, we set up LAFCO, the Los Angeles Filmmakers Co-op. And then later later on in life, like I was in India and kind of looking back at what made me happy. Like mm. when were the times that I, I felt sort of real grat- gratified, you know, like, and that my times building pallet racks really sort of stood out yeah. in my memory as, as times when I I just felt really good about what I was doing. Yeah, fulfilled. And, you know, for whatever reason i don't know it's building pallet racks or just building uh felt great to me and so i sort of looked for an opportunity to get that going career he said it was a short and good one what what was that so computer science like my my dad was a programmer i was a a horrible student in high school um and so i dropped out my my junior year and hadn't really thought about getting into software because it's what my dad did so i thought maybe i'd do something else but then at that point i was like you know i really gotta get some things together Mm -hmm. and and so i went to community college de anza in uh, cupertino and and just started taking computer science classes and then transferred to UC Santa Cruz. And then, like, 
my my timing was just very fortunate that you know the I was I don't know a junior in '93 and the the first web browser came out. And then some of my, my friends from my operating systems class started this like uh, music website called Ayuma, the Internet Underground Music Archive, mm-hmm. which was, you know, taking sort of garage band mixtapes and digitizing them and putting them online, like and was basically the, the first music startup on, on the Internet. And wow. sort of none of us graduated like then i got uh, an internship in the the java group at sun microsystems and then got hired on there and then did a startup and, and just was able to sort of ride this this sort of first wave of yeah. of the internet happening and it was it was really really a special time yeah to be in silicon valley working with software yeah and you know this sense of changing the world and like people making money and it it was it was just really really special yeah and so uh our timing was good and then in uh my startup got got acquired and the the company that that bought us uh proceeded to sort of go downhill and go go bankrupt um and so so what what had looked like it would be a huge win turned out to be like an okay win, um, you know something, and and so then I, I took some time off. Things were a little bit depressed in the early sort of two thousands, and traveled and and spent some time in Hawaii, and then uh, then decided I had some superpowers and so came back to uh, to Los Angeles to spend time with my my family. And then connected with Tao, and helped set up this sort of uh, community um, community space for independent filmmakers. Yeah. Sort of looking at sort of how transformational the internet was being in in sort of all of these industries, and looking at how uh, how maybe that would move into the the video filmmaking world. The yeah. independent filmmakers had always sort of complained about not having access to distribution. Yeah. That, you know, it's very siloed with like big TV and big sure. movie studios. And now there was starting to be this opportunity to do do something where independent filmmakers could directly reach the world. And, and Tao is the super charming guy. And, mm-hmm. and so it was a fun, fun thing to, to create to create this environment. And so we got this warehouse in Venice Beach and the warehouse was this really great sort of old art deco power house that had like 20 foot ceilings and was just one big open building. And we wanted to have like public events, but also provide sort of studio space to filmmakers who were making stuff. And initially there was some conflict between like giving people studio space, but then also having parties and screenings and, you know, shows and stuff. So it felt like we really needed to figure out how to take care of, take advantage of the volume of the space. Mm-hmm. And so then I was looking around at like scaffolding and stuff like that, and then stumbled across pallet racks. And then that was our sort of first pallet rack structure. Yeah. And so, so we did that, uh, in LAFCO and then I did it again in, uh, the brewery, which is another sort of large sort of artist colony in downtown Los Angeles and built some really large uh, pallet racks there to be sort of individual studios. It was, it was really great. It was a lot of fun. I blew through a lot of money 
yeah. and and sort of came to terms with the the fact that I'm I'm not rich enough to play these games here. That I I sort of managed to get a little bit of savings going, but not that much. And that um, you know I had ideas of you know doing an incubator, you know helping you know some sort of alternative tech people get going. Um, and so then I, I was like, you know, I either need to like go back and get a job and, you know, just try to do this again, or I can go to India or go someplace like that where I can afford to hang out for some time and, and play these games and really sort of figure out, you know, exactly how I'm going to do this. Yeah. And so, so I went to India and it was kind of, you know, this of like, I, I feel like I feel I felt like I, I potentially had something to offer in terms of you know have my startup my startup experience my you know tech experience my perspective something I felt like I could do something whereas I felt like in in California in Silicon Valley I'm I'm just another guy like there's mm. there's a bunch of people who have very similar experiences sure. and so so yeah I went over there with sort of that idea mm-hmm. and sounds like it's working that's the beginning of that that journey yeah. Yeah, it was a, a long, a long journey. So I spent 13 years there. The advantage, which really worked out, was that I could afford to spend time trying to figure out what it is that I wanted. Mm-hmm. The, it you know turns out it's a complex and worthwhile question of just being like, well, what do I really want? You know, I had some sort of vague ideas of believing in technology, helping people start things, maybe helping people learn things, education, internet, something. But that like when it actually comes time to doing stuff that, that it's like, well, what does that mean exactly? And that, uh, yeah, that took time to just sort of process and, and figure out like, specifically like what does this mean i'm doing on like a day-to-day basis with my myself like it's it's you know been an interesting process just having a lot of time yeah and figuring out you know how i spend that the fact that you are taking what would objectively or subjectively to someone else look like just spare time free time to do whatever and asking questions with it and spending time trying to work out anything other than just it's not that you're just masturbatory. You're not just like trying to gratify yourself constantly. You're trying to figure out how you can be of use, how to be useful and helpful, and that's a that's a good way to be. Yeah, it, and I mean, even even that is like. So is is that what I'm about? Am I really trying to be useful? Like, is that the metric I'm gonna sort of evaluate all of my time on? You know, it's like. You know, then you like ask that question, like, and then it's like, well, you know, is what I'm doing now really the the best use in terms of like benefit to humanity? You know, it 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 gets interesting, and you know, yeah, it's some deep questions, and if you have time, you can just you can ask, yeah, yeah, and 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 asking sort of unanswerable questions, I think. It, the point ne- isn't necessarily getting the answer to the unanswerable question. To me, the point or the, the real meat and potatoes of it is the sort of other things that you stumble upon in trying to ask an unanswerable question. So like we wouldn't have 
the the germ theory of disease if if we weren't asking way more complicated questions than what makes us sick you know and so your your deep questioning you may never figure out what is useful but in the meantime you'll figure out all kinds of great things to do for others and with others and yeah but i feel like there is this one very practical aspect of it which is kind of like a it's just trying to get to the point where you feel like the way you're spending time that you'll feel good about that yeah. that you know there's this very practical thing of you know there's clearly a bunch of things that you can do where you know you won't feel good about it that you'll and and I ended up feeling this way about like uh like working yeah. Like I got sort of a, another job working for a little while, but that I didn't really need the money and I wasn't necessarily like totally like felt like it was like a mission. Yeah. And then it was like, you know, like I, it, it makes me kind of hard to partner with in some sense because I'm, I'm not necessarily motivated around making money. And then if we're not motivated around making money, then it's, it starts getting real abstract on like exactly what it is that is yeah. like bringing us together. And then like, and, and, and so, so I, I feel like there's, you know, the, the practical aspect of, you know, asking this question of what do I want, you know, what is meaning is, is like, then if you, if you get it even a little bit or even the process of asking the question, you start feeling, well, you know, at least I'm, spending i feel good about how i'm spending my time yeah you know that like if you ha if all you have is time then like one of the you know best ways to spend it is to figure out how to feel good about how you're spending your time yeah and and so then that's the benefit is is that then i can i can feel good about how i'm spending time and, yeah. and almost however that ends up playing out whether it's like being super useful or making art or like meditating or you know something that that I can feel good about it and kind of justify it. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's sort of being able to justify this little thought of like, are you, is what you're doing now worthwhile? Yeah. We met a guy um, and I, I do want to take it back to 93. I have a specific question there, but we met a guy in, um, in Cortez Island uh, outside of Vancouver, really interesting character, a guy named Joel Solomon, who, um, wrote a book called The Clean Money Revolution. And he's a money guy. He's a um, financial guru, sort of, um, but does it with heart. He helped start companies like um, Seventh Generation, and he's funded and helped acquire funding for you know, green companies in, in that space. And I you know, asked him, like, what, do you, what makes you happier? What are you trying to do? And his thing is that he wants to be a good ancestor. And what's interesting about that is he doesn't have children, and I don't think he's likely necessarily to have children, but his he sees himself in a continuum of of the dead, and he wants to you know make sure that his place in there, subjectively or objectively, was good, and that and that you know retrospectively someone can look back and be like thanks to that guy for that stuff. So you know I don't know if you're it's it almost sounds sort of similar what what you're after in, in that. Yeah, yeah, I feel it's it's definitely asking the same the same question. Mm -hmm. um, for me, one of the interesting times. So, so I had a lot of time in in India where where I was a little bit 
didn't know exactly sort of professionally. Like right. I, I, I knew I sort of wanted to do something with the internet, helping people, but it wasn't really working out exactly how. But I was, I was doing yoga. Mm-hmm. And so there was sort of this thing, time, you know, which was a couple of years where sort of mentally I was a little bit confused and a little bit unhappy, but that physically, you know, there was some, some growth that was happening in another dimension, mm-hmm. you know, slightly. Right. And, and so I could kind of forgive myself the sort of slight directionlessness to my career because there was clearly growth happening in another way. Yeah. And, and going sort of further down that, that path, it's, it's not always the yogis aren't necessarily sort of pushing sort of um, making the world better for everyone in the same way yeah. <laughs> the, the, that it, 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 there seems to be sort of more of a focus on sort of like cleansing and, and that you know maybe the way that we make you know the world better is by sort of like calming down and doing less hmm. little bit unintuitive um but you know is another another angle you know sure the, the sort of don't just do something sit there yeah <laughs> and, and yeah and that a nice thing about it for for me is that sort of having enough of that sort of philosophy it, it gives me a lot more sort of grace for myself when when I don't know exactly what I'm doing, when it's not clear how what I'm doing right now is going to make the world better for future generations, yeah. but but that I'm I'm sort of uh, getting closer to or just sort of appreciating more this sort of peace, you know, that maybe a certain amount of personal peace is worthwhile on its on its own, yeah. <laughs> like even if it yeah. doesn't necessarily help sure anyone else that maybe that's okay back in the 90s um i've i've felt in various projects in my life sort of like a i don't know a residual ring of generations before me and in your particular business and and writing software and and code and and making making these uh these digital worlds exist and these programs and being able to share music it i think comes from a lineage of sort of psychedelic research mm-hmm. to to for lack of a term you know in people like Steve Jobs and and these guys who clearly took the time to ask the kind of questions you're asking in the context of like sort of psychedelic journeys did you feel any of that sort of vibration or or that influence when you were there because that's such an early time like 94 is when it really 
that's when it happened. That's when it, it came into our lives. I've, I've sort of heard this before, which I, I really like this, that it's no coincidence that, you know, San Francisco, which was sort of ground zero for the psychedelic revolution, also then turned into the, you know, ground zero for the internet and this sort of cyber revolution, you know, right. one, just one generation later. Yeah. And, and the, you know, uh, who knows, like there's, there's definitely this very open minded thing that happened in the sixties and early seventies that, you know, I was born into. Yes. And, and that, you know, that's my, my parents' generation. And then that sort of gave birth to this. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I I don't know specifically exactly how it all, all relates, but you know, there's definitely, uh, a big appreciation towards you know psychedelics and mm-hmm. and just yeah alternative thinking and stuff that mm-hmm. that comes from you know parts of California yeah do you feel I mean are you do you have a connection with psychedelics do you feel like they've in any way shaped your worldview on things or have, uh, had any sort of influence on how you feel about the world uh, I don't have any real amazing psychedelic stories mm. like i i've you know played around i've enjoyed it but but no i, I can't sort of point to psychedelics right. as necessarily having pushed you in any opened direction. some some door that right. then i i pursued for a long time yeah like so yeah. well it seems like you've i, I guess psychedelic is sort of a, a blanket term for those mind expanding sort of uh, i mean it's certainly refers to a class of thing you can take into your body and think something you can ingest. But you mentioned meditation and yoga and these sorts of things that uh, put so, you in that space. So marijuana, I feel like is uh, another substance that, that I've had a, a very sort of deep relationship with. And it's, I find it's interesting in terms of, um, its effect on my relationship with time Mm. and that uh you know sort of it sort of gets back to this talk about like am i am i doing something meaningful and there's something about smoking where i can get into a space where i feel like everything is fantastic (laughs) i don't feel i'm necessarily productive like i'm not necessarily moving anything forward in any and i'll have ideas that seem you know amazing and stuff like that but i'll you know i don't necessarily feel like i'm making huge progress towards those ideas but that i i you know at least for a while have this profound sense of like being at peace and okay and there's there's something interesting about sort of a lot of the the rishis you know in in india are are high like they're they're smoking a lot and the, a lot of you know this sort of lifestyle is kind of like hanging out and smoking and keeping a little fire going and you know being at peace with that mm-hmm. and it's um it's great <laughs> and, and, and and so I, I feel like that is really sort of had an effect on on sort of my perspective and 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 it's also been an interesting relationship, like in terms of like, you know, there are times when I, I get a little bit antsy on the like, you know, 
am I really okay? You know, I, I do have some ideas of things that I feel would be great to do. Sure. And that the, and smoking helps me, like I get a certain sort of manic enthusiasm for ideas. Yeah. I'm familiar. <laughs> but that I, I, I don't necessarily feel super functional on executing all of the steps to make them happen. And then yes. I'll, I'll have times where I'm like, you know, maybe I should like pull back and like focus energy into like actual doing. Yeah. I also have times where I'm like, maybe I should, you know, pull back and, you know, focus on some of the other practices towards, you know, clearing the mind and being okay with just hanging out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you've speaking of hanging out. So you've left India for the time being mm -hmm. and you've come back to be with family. Mm -hmm. To spend time with uh, was it your mom and your dad, or is, are they? Yeah, my my parents are getting older. I kind of want to be around for this chapter. Yeah, I, I feel and uh, yeah. They and they live in Paso Robles. You said my mom lives in Paso Robles, and my dad lives up in Oakland. Yeah, and so I'm sort of splitting time between there. Also, like I have a little bit of property in Paso Robles, and so I can kind of play some games and yeah. in India I was always on someone else's property and dealing with yeah. you know sort of the intersection between my dreams and what you know fit into what they wanted to happen on their property right. and here I have a little more you know scope and freedom yeah can you own property in India you can't own a property like open property I okay. think I think that foreigners are allowed to own like a flat gotcha. in a building or gotcha. something like that um, so are, are your parents ill or just, just no, older? They're, they're, just, they're just older. They're in yeah. their seventies, yeah. you know, like, so there isn't anything sort of specific that I'm, yeah. I'm there for. And, you know, who knows, but that's, the, that's ideal that I feel like, you know, they're special people that I, yeah. I love and that I, I want to be around yeah. and that, you know, now feels like a good time to, to do that. And, and that I, I love California. Like I, yeah, I love the Bay great. area. I have friends there, like, uh, past Robles is new for me, but you know, I'm connecting with stuff there. So, yeah. So I don't feel like it's a, a hardship. It, no, it's like, I sure. feel like I, I kind of got to a place where this right. was a reasonable next step. And yeah, I, I think about it a lot. I don't see my mother very often. Hmm. We might see each other once, twice a year, if it's a good year, you know, hmm. And my mother's 73, 74 years old. Um, you know, I don't know what our family history as far as uh, longevity is concerned is a mixed bag. Mm. You know, so if, if my mom is going to live another 20 years, uh, am I going to see her 40 more times, 20 more times? You know, it's one of, the, it's one of those weird things to put like a number and t start thinking about time and how much time we're going to spend together. So it's, it's, I think it's very wise of you to, to make the time to spend with with your family just for no other reason than you love them and you want to be around them and it's fortunate for you that your family lives somewhere that you want to spend time my family lives in mississippi and i love my family tremendously but i would much rather spend time with them in california so yeah. you got that going for you yeah i feel extremely privileged both that they're they're in places that i want to spend time and yeah. also that they're people that i actually enjoy spending time with yeah that i i feel like that was a real a real gift that you know i've met met people where that wasn't true and, and for know. sure for sure you you just seem to me in the very brief time that we've spent together that you have a capacity for filling time with and i know you said like smoking pot isn't necessarily the most productive thing but 
the way that you frame the time that you're spending seems productive even if you're not actively building or making or doing you and you were telling me that yesterday you've started doing jujitsu and in past robles because you don't have much of a community or you don't have a bunch of a history there and you've joined this thing that's very communal and very uh, i don't know it seems like a almost tribal sort of thing in its way the, the jujitsu tribe um can you talk a little bit about that like what what drove you sure i mean part of it is remembering back to this this time in india where i had sort of a lot of a lot of time and that you know professionally mentally like i wasn't sure where things are going but that i had this personal growth that seemed to be happening physically and yeah. that i you know had this strong connection with my my yoga teacher and the the small group of people that that got together to do yoga together you know even though we were only doing it like three or four times a a week that it it really was sort of this underpinning for that time and and, and made that whole time feel valuable yeah that that when I you know moved to Paso Robles, I also had this sort of feeling that you know I, I don't have anything going on you know exactly like I've got this house, my mom's here, and so but going to jujitsu, it's like for that you know hour and a half a day like I'm super hardcore, yeah, and that you know just an hour and a half a day of being super hardcore it's like my my body changes like that you know i I feel different i'm getting like you know different levels of self-confidence that you know uh i yeah i I just enjoy it uh jujitsu itself i find super i've i did judo when i was a little kid so i remember a little bit of it and and there's something about like wrestling where um i feel it it hits something super primal that when when we're when we're rolling that there's there's no thought i don't have to like work at you know thinking about my day or what's going on that like for this time my whole body like activates like every muscle like everything like is fully like present and flexed you know and like there's nothing else that i've ever done where i feel so totally physically mentally engaged as when when i'm wrestling yeah and you know i'd always sort of known that uh since i was a kid but that i don't know as as we became adults the opportunities to wrestle sort of um yeah went down and then i moved to india and then this jujitsu seems like it got super popular, you know, yeah. uh, the Gracies and, you know, everything. So then when I came, came back, now there's jujitsu everywhere. There's a jujitsu club, you know, close to my house in Paso Robles. Great. And so, so then, then I've been able to engage with that and, and yeah, I just, I love it. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun the way that I hear people talk about it. It doesn't sound like fighting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, I really like it like that, that we can, we can go, you know, full on and actually, you know, actively and engage, but that for the most part, you know, you come out of it. Okay. Okay. You know, yeah. it's like you're flexed and yeah. pumped and, you know, have some adrenaline going, but, but I'm not injured. It, it's something I did capoeira on and off and, and really liked that aspect too of like that we can play yeah. and, and there's contact improv. There's an, a number of sort of physical sort of arts where you 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 get to physically play and there's sort of 
I don't know, it's almost like a partner meditation kind of thing where it's like you're really engaged with the other person and 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 just sort of flowing your body around them in some way yeah and and yeah i i enjoy it i feel like there's something special about physical contact mm -hmm. and that you know jujitsu contact improv acro yoga capoeira like it give you give you sort of ways of engaging yeah. another body in you know a structured safe non-sexual yeah. way that you can be very present with another being and yeah. i feel it's a really special experience it sounds like it uh i mean I, and i think they even let guys who look like a combo of olive oil and bluto come in and, <laughs> and participate i should probably check that out um uh, there's one more particular thing i wanted to speak with you about uh your unicycle that is unlike any unicycle i've ever seen yeah the electric unicycle like it's it's really the the best invention of the 21st century is, is, in my opinion, like it's, I think it's the most profound new thing since the cell phone Yeah, that it, it's really sort of changed, um, changed my life. Like I, I've, I love, I love technology. I've, you know, mm -hmm. since sort of, I feel like I kind of like really came of age with the internet and the internet's been like so transformational and it really played a key role in my life. And so I've, I've kind of been chasing this like what's that aspect of new technology that's really going to change our lives mm. and and the electric unicycle feels like that like i i um i grew up skiing a little bit in tahoe yeah. and uh, always enjoyed it but it's super expensive and like yeah. you know kind of impractical and the the electric unicycle i feel like i have this sensation of skiing but that i can do it to bart yeah <laughs> and i can do it to the store and i can do it to visit my friends and go home and that i can you know pick it up and put it in the back of someone's car yeah. it, it's it's just like i you know i feel like in a hundred years we'll still have electric unicycles tell me describe the technology describe the the wheel the the it's it's really like the the smallest motorized transportation that you can sort of imagine it, it really comes down to like a wheel an electric hub motor so inside of the wheel there's the motor there's some lithium-ion batteries and then a little controller and so the the whole package is basically just the size of a, a wheel the yeah. the nice thing about electric unicycles is the the wheel can be pretty big so the the popular ones now are like 16 or 18 inch wheels wow which means that they can handle bumps, you know, a little bit better, almost on par with like bicycles. And, and then, you know, the shell is sort of plastic. So you have this thing that's, you know, like a little plastic thing that, you know, has a tire at the bottom and, and, you know, can go my, my big unicycle right now can do about 50 miles and hit, you know, 25, 30 miles an hour on a single charge on a single charge. It's great. And, and yeah. And it's, I mean, it's got, a uh, forward light or it's got lights yeah it's got lights it's got a little bluetooth speaker in yeah. it and the the controller the motor controller um has just a little bit of intelligence it basically it, it's a little heart just wants to be vertical yeah and it can sense if if it's tilted forward or tilted backwards and if it's tilted forward it'll speed up so it gets vertical and if it's tilted back it'll speed back until it gets vertical and that's all all it does yeah but just with that little bit of logic um 
that it's dependable enough that you can kind of rely on it and yeah. that you're i feel like my my body is sort of like merged enough so that i can really feel it as an extension of me and that all i have to do is kind of lean yeah and that i i go where i want to go and it reminded me watching you that so when we first met you i'll give a little context we met you in the salton sea outside of the ski inn or at the ski inn and you and tao busted out the the unicycles and you were dancing and there was music playing from the from one of the the units and you were just kind of cruising around the parking lot in a in a in a dance that was beautiful i mean it was like you were just kind of flowing with it and uh but it, it reminded me of the way a good um navigator on a river like a good river guide or a guy oh. in a kayak is trying to let the river do its thing and just making sure the boat's in the right place and it kind of reminded me of that you were just sort of making sure your body was in the right place to let this thing sort of flow around it was really yeah it was cool yeah i feel it's it sort of has this sort of ski snowboard vibe of like following the terrain but then you also like especially when you're sort of hanging out with like a local people it, it almost feels like the the roller skate yeah. sort of people who are sort of dancing on roller skates yeah and that. and that they they clearly just love the sensation yeah. of of skating and are able to sort of like yes. play and and that i i feel like i get get that from the unicycle and that yeah. it you know it gives me this kinetic energy and that it also has this aspect of um the unicycle's stable but you can't stand still the same way you can't yeah. be still on a bicycle but it gives you all the energy to move and mm -hmm. so then then just um hanging out with people who are just standing around it, it means that for me just standing around means that i basically need to dance yeah that, like we need i need to move it'll give me all the energy to move yeah. but that i i need to Stay in conversational range. Yeah, and, and so then, then there's this really fun, yeah. interesting dance that doesn't take tons of energy that mm -hmm. that I'm sort of playing off of its energy and, and force, yeah. and and it feels good. Like yeah, yeah. It looks. Uh, I got on it for about 14 seconds, mm -hmm. which I think you and Tao were saying it takes about an hour worth of practice to kind of be able to move around and not fall immediately. Yeah. Yeah. An hour to sort of get across a parking lot. I feel yeah. like if you can, if you can really work at it for an hour and everybody's different, but, um, sure. but it, it also has this really deep learning curve. Mm -hmm. it, like, I feel like I've been doing it pretty aggressively for five years and and there's still trails that are really at the the edge of my ability. Mm. There's sort of dancey type moves that are at sure. the edge of my ability, yeah. and and so I I still feel like I can challenge myself mm -hmm. and get better and and stuff like that. In, in the same way that that I feel like with skiing and snowboarding and surfing, practice. that you that there's practice and that it it goes a long way. Yeah. That you know you can continue to improve the the, the idea of being really a, an expert or master in this is is something laudable like i feel yeah. we're gonna have unicycle pros you yeah know, if not already pretty soon like and in, in, i i love i love that i love sort of seeing things that I, I feel are really going to sort of break out and be be common and big and 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 sort of play with them in this this yeah. early phase and there's a community behind it already the small growing yeah, small growing communities uh, around the world uh san francisco 
San Francisco's interesting. Uh, San Francisco has an amazing Eastgate community. So the the Eastgate community in San Francisco is is amazing and hardcore. I don't know if those people exist in other parts of the world, uh, but in San Francisco, the Eastgate group is is the most um, badass group of electric vehicle riders that that I've encountered. Um, and the the electric skateboarder, the electric skateboards can can also do like twenty five miles an hour. Like they're okay. they're no joke. Yeah, it freaks me out like I, i'm like I, I have mad respect for all those guys but it's like they're doing it on like four inch wheels and stuff like that wow. but it it's a it's a great community to ride with especially when you're on like a, a high-end uh, unicycle the other thing i've seen is like i've done some travel in china and in china like all the major cities have an electric unicycle club yeah. that will meet up on weekends they'll take a bus to the beach or someplace beautiful and and then you know we'll do this big sort of long beautiful ride it's a little bit less aggressive than the the eastgate group in san francisco but it's the first time that i feel like i'm really part of a a niche community where you know just this shared love of this sport is enough to make me feel like you know bonded with a group of people who i otherwise you know i can't even really communicate with and uh and so that's been that's been great just sort of traveling and and i've done some other sort of long-range rides like in the himalayas in india we did a a long trip through the mountains with the unicycle and it's no one's seen it so so we're really like fabulous performers and and recamping good attention camping or staying in people's homes or uh, mostly we were staying in guest houses yeah. um, through through the mountains. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah, it was great. So we'd ride for a couple of hours, stop at like a tea shop, charge the unicycles. We'd, yeah. There was a group of like eight of us. So we'd have this pile of unicycles like five feet tall, you know, <laughs> all hooked up to a power strip. We'd go wow. into some little tea shop, plug that in. The lights would dim. We'd yeah. hang out for an hour or two. It's another interesting aspect of the sport and i see this in the san francisco group too is that it's this really aggressive sport but that has a significant amount of like hangout time built into it yeah and so you're, you're you going wait hardcore on. and then you you know stop at a cafe plug it all in hang out talk to people for an hour yeah i love that now uh how long does it take to charge back up if you've like mostly depleted it like below 50 percent or something uh, so my my big unicycle has you know one of the the larger batteries. It's like a kilowatt of um, wow. power. It takes uh, it takes a long time. It takes like six hours to do a full charge from like you know nothing or twenty percent up to full. But that it'll go like eighty percent of that way in an hour and change. Wow. And so um, so yeah, yeah and same. and. So you can you can pull in a, a decent amount of power pretty pretty quickly pretty quickly. And what is so? How can people find out more about? If game? you just Google around or look on YouTube for electric unicycles, yeah, you'll you'll sort of a uncover few. a bunch of you know this this little subculture that you know yeah. I didn't know about before. People dancing, people doing wow. tricks, people doing you know off road kind of stuff. Wow, that's so cool. Well, Freeman, thanks, man. Sure, I really man. appreciate you sharing all this. I, mean, I, I feel like we could probably talk yeah. forever, but it's a, there's a birthday party coming today. Yeah, sure. Hanging yeah, out here in a beautiful day. But uh, Absolutely. Thank you, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Right. Thanks a lot. 
Jenny here, saying thank you for listening to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you haven't already, or it's been a while, check out our website, mtp.dog. There's plenty of information there. An About tab with a little bio on Andrew, myself, and our dog Pele. There's also a Van Build tab, detailing how we did our van conversion. A Journal tab, and we, as an Andrew, are doing our best to keep that up to date. And last but not least, a Contact tab, where you can leave your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you would like to donate and or subscribe to the cause, you can go to Patreon and GoFundMe at Monkey Tooth Podcast. Patreon is not just a place to subscribe. We post lots of content there as well. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Love to all. These years.